When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and this week we are kicking off our two-week celebration of some great, wonderful musicians and artists, and we are kicking it off with talking about the late, great David Bowie. And um, we just both, Carla and I both recently, me today, Carla yesterday, finished the fantastic documentary, although I think it's a little bit more than a documentary. It's really an immersive experience. I was going to say it's an experience. <laughs> it is. It really is called Moon Age Daydream and it's on Max. Not, I'm, I'm, oh my God, I said Max. Oh my gosh. What's oh my God, they've taken you, Aaron. Oh no, they got you. Oh no. And I almost said, I'm not going to say it. I said, Max, and I almost said, I'm not going to say it. And I said, oh my gosh. Wow. We've lost you to the Max. <laughs> so it is on HBO Max. I didn't say that other one. We can forget that. That was part of my days that I'm in, but both Carla and I are in a David Bowie haze, which really does help with this episode, but it is a very immersive experience where you're basically just, it's basically like you're living like David Bowie for like two hours. <laughs> I mean, that really is the way it felt. And it's really interesting. And I think it really, um, it's very intimate, but not in a um, intrusive, invasive way. It was sanctioned by his estate. So it wasn't something that his estate didn't approve of. And it's just a really beautiful and interesting portrait, really, of art and an artist. And, um, of course, it's filled with amazing music. So if you don't know who David Bowie is, I don't know how you don't know who David Bowie is, but <laughs> I'll give you just a little brief little bio from Wikipedia. Uh, so David Bowie was born David Robert Jones. He was born on January 8th, 1947, and sadly passed away January 10th, 2016, which I hadn't really computed in my mind that it was just two days after his birthday. That's just, I, until looking at that, I don't know why, but you know. And of course, he was an English singer, songwriter, and actor, a leading figure in the music industry. He's regarded as one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. Uh, he studied art, music, and design before embarking on a professional career as a musician in 1963. He released a string of unsuccessful singles, singles with local bands and a solo album before achieving his first top five entry on the UK singles chart with Space Oddity, released in 1969. 
After a period of experimentation, he reemerged in 1972 during the glam rock era with the flamboyant and androgynous alter ego Ziggy Stardust. The character was spearheaded by the success of Starman and the album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, which won him widespread popularity. In 1975, Bowie's style shifted towards a sound he characterized as quote-unquote plastic soul, initially alienating many of his UK fans, but garnering him him his first major U.S. crossover success with the number one single, Fame, and the album Young Americans. In 1976, Bowie starred in the cult film The Man Who Fell to Earth and released Station to Station. In 1977, he again changed direction with the electronic-inflected album Low, the first of three collaborations with Brian Eno that came to be known as the Berlin Trilogy. Heroes from 1977 and Lodger from 1979 followed. Each album reached the UK top five and received lasting critical critical praise. During his lifetime, his record sales, estimated at over 100 million records worldwide, made him one of the best-selling musicians of all time. In the UK, he was awarded 10 platinum, 11 gold, and 8 silver album certifications and released 11 number one albums. In the US, he received 5 platinum and 9 gold certifications certifications. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996, and Rolling Stone ranked him among the greatest artists in history. And as of 2022, Bowie was the best-selling vinyl artist of the 21st century. So just a couple of small little accomplishments, and those, of course, aren't all of his accomplishments, but that's just a little bit. And before I get to Our first initial thoughts here, I do want to give a shout out because we did ask on Twitter and Instagram for people to submit to us some of their favorite Bowie songs or albums. So a shout out to Lara Charlene, I hope I am pronouncing your last name correct, from Germany, who um, said their two favorite records would be for, uh, would be probably Low and Earthling. And then Sasha, who was on our Labyrinth episode last year, said, Labyrinth <laughs> for music. And then, and I, I'm so, so sorry, because I know you have followed us for a long time on Instagram. So I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name as it is on Instagram. But um, Mrs. Um, Pappy Evangelista said, Heroes for David Bowie, because we are also asking for any of your favorites for Trent Reznor, which is who we're going to be covering next week. So this episode is out on Friday, so this will probably be your last day. You can get those to us for a chance to get a shout out. But what I first want to know from you, Carla, from Bedwetter Behead, I don't know if I said that Carla is here joining me, so I apologize if I missed that again. I am so sorry. So joining me this week for this one, again, is Carla from Bedwetter Behead. And Carla was also on our Depeche Mode episode last year. So I don't know why to me it feels like these kind of flow together in a weird <laughs> way, which they're not. I don't know why that just struck me, but it did. So, what song, album, or performance made you a David Bowie fan, Carla? Yes, thank you. I am Carla from Bedwetter Behead, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and, and I didn't really listen to David Bowie growing up. My parents like a, a lot of the music, music that I was exposed to was through my parents 
and through the oldie station that I listened to when we moved here <laughs> from Mexico. But yeah, David Bowie was not really one of the artists that, that they followed. So I was very late to the game. And the first time that I remember paying attention to him was in the movie Labyrinth. And that's one of the times that I went back to Mexico for the summer and would go to to my friend's house. It looked like two houses down. So we would spend time at each other's houses constantly. And but they but they had the better VCR and TV area. So we would mostly watch TV there. And they put on Labyrinth. And I was like, what is this? And then, you know, two hours later, mind blown, very confused about many things in my life, as many of us were after we watched this movie. <laughs> but I was like, who's that? And it's like, oh, David Bowie was like, file that away. And I thought that he was just like an actor. I didn't think much more beyond that because I was like in my early teens and my life was just consumed with very important teen stuff like, you know, creating a library system wherein my friends who wanted to borrow books had to check them out and sign them out and then send them back in within a particular amount of time because I don't play with my books. That kind of thing, you know. Regular teenage things. <laughs> and then, uh, like, several years later, every time that I would go back to Mexico, I would make a mix CD for my uncle. Now, my uncle's only, like, four years older than me, so he's really more like an older brother. But we would exchange music when I would go over there. And this is, you know, you, you couldn't really... There was no Google Drive. So he has, like, burn CDs if you care about somebody. So I burned him a CD with, like, all of the music that I discovered that year that would make me cool in his eyes and he was always like the hell is this crap <laughs> but my insecurities aside you know my, my the crushing of my spirit aside i put in I, I had just like i think it was like the night before i was going there i hmm how do i put this before streaming there was this other way of streaming in which you could stream things into your computer and then put them on a CD and keep them on CD. And you didn't necessarily have to buy a CD to do this. So, you know, those who know, know. <laughs> and um, I was just listening for for like whatever music, something that's like, oh, what's cool? And um, I heard I'm Afraid of Americans. And I was like, oh my God, people can say that aloud? <laughs> So I was like, yes, I'm taking that one. And that became like the song that I listened to the most that summer. That was like the, the song that I think like penetrated my soul. Because even though I have lived here since I was 10, I've never really like felt fully embraced by the culture here. So it, it's and I, it's amazing how that song that came out in what was it, like 97 or something that song not only resonates today, but it's even more resonant today than it was even back then. Like back then people still kind of thought America was kind of cool. They were like, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of clueless, but they're, they're fine. And now it's like, huh, do we really want to travel there, Muffy? Oh no, Howard, we do not want to travel there. So yeah, like I'm like, yeah, no, there, there has not been a point since the song was released at which I've been like, I'm a little less afraid of Americans. No, no. So yeah, like those those were my 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 first, you know, first the the actor side of him, and then the musician side of him, which is like backwards from the way most people have experienced David Bowie in their lives. 
<laughs> I, I love that though. And we are going to be, you know, because David Bowie did that song, of course, with Trent Reznor. And we're going to be talking about Trent Reznor on Friday too. And I do want to say real quickly, since that song was brought up, um, and I'm going to ask Danelle about this because Danelle is going to be on the Trent Reznor episode. And she did see Nine Inch Dales and David Bowie when they were touring together. And I, I'm so, so jealous, I have to say, because especially when hearing this, because what I heard was that on the tour, what they did is that once Nine Inch Dales was finishing up, David Bowie came on stage and Trent Reznor and David Bowie were singing together. And while they're singing the song during the song, um, they would, I don't know if it was during each song or just like one song, slowly musicians that were part of Nine Inch Nails would be replaced by someone that was part of David Bowie's band until it was all David Bowie's band. And then I know, isn't that, that is so thing? cool? <laughs> oh my God. I know when I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm going to go cry in a corner now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to be there. So, I mean, I have seen Nine Inch Nails, but I sadly didn't get to see David Bowie. So that would have been just, oh my gosh, what, a, what a great way to do that too, because that's like, it's that's brilliant. such a cool thing. That really shows you too, that they probably really respected each other because that's pretty incredible. You know, no, no real, yeah. you know, I'm not saying they might've not had egos, but there's no real ego there as far as like, I'm better than you and you're better than me kind of thing. But so. one thing about, um, I'm afraid of Americans that that I do want to point out is the version with Trent Reznor that is I think the third or fourth version because okay, originally it was just yeah it was it was written by David Bowie and Brian Eno which if you ever play the New York Times crossword puzzle you know that Brian Eno gets brought up a lot a lot if they talk about yes. a songwriter yes like it's constant like oh da 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 a songwriter uh, three letters it's Eno. But anyway, so like they wrote the song and there was like the, the original version with David Bowie and his band and he wasn't really feeling it. So he left it off whatever album he was working on. And then they did another version. And he's like, I like that one a little more. And then there was another version, I think, with Ice Cube. And then there was another version with Trent Reznor. That, that's the one that I think stuck the most. Anyway. Yeah. And that was the one that um, was on, uh, I believe it was on, it was on the Lost Highway soundtrack. It was on the Showgirl soundtrack. It was what well, was also Lost Highway. Oh, was too, it? Okay. I believe. Like, I believe. What? Yes. Because, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think it's hilarious that it was in the Showgirl soundtrack. Like, really? Now yeah, that I've seen Showgirls, for all I know, it's like better than I imagined. But it, Oh, you've never not. seen Showgirls? <laughs> no, I've never been subjected to. I mean, it had the privilege to. Oh, no. I'm thinking of uh, The Perfect Drug by Nine Inch Dale. Sorry. Sorry, oh, everybody. Okay. I am like <laughs> messing up all over the place. I do know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> You're just like David Bowie up, man, and you're like, don't know where you're floating. I know, I know, but um, but anyways, <laughs> but yeah, Lost Highway is whatever. Uh, I have my issues with David David Lynch. I said David Finch. I don't know what the hell that is. That's like David Fincher shortened. <laughs> I don't know who that man is. <laughs> okay, well, back to David Bowie. Mine is also Labyrinth when I was a little kid. And, and I knew who David Bowie was. Like, I, I did know David Bowie's music and had heard it. But Labyrinth, and we talked about this on our episode. You can listen to our episode from last year talking about the movie with, um, with Susie and with Sasha. And the thing about that movie is it awakened a lot of things in some of us. <laughs> things that we did not understand at that young, <laughs> tender age. 
<laughs> David Bowie awakened a lot of things in us that we still didn't really. It's true. It's so true. And I mean, those pants probably really helped a lot. I mean, really, it's the whole, the whole shebang, the whole look, the, the walk, yeah. the talk. Yeah. The yeah. music, the everything awakened something in a lot of us. That's when I became a woman. <laughs> yeah. And most of us, the majority of us, when we watched it during that time, we're like, screw your brother. <laughs> Go off with <laughs> I know both my sister and I have said to each other, yeah, sorry, I would choose David Bowie over you. <laughs> I mean, yes, realistically, no, you wouldn't. Realistically, it's really creepy that a really old man is listening after this teenager. Yes. But when you're watching it as a young child and a young preteen, too, and then you watch it even when you're in your teen years, it's like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, we hadn't really had that, that kind of talk with our parents. Yeah. <laughs> and you really don't understand what it is about those tight pants that are really speaking to you. So, but they are. <laughs> and I don't know, they, I don't know what they were thinking. They're making this little, and they knew what they were doing. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> um, but yes, that was the thing that really made me a David Bowie fan but I also became more of a fan of his music I would say probably in high school and um and then beyond and and also and we'll talk about his film career and also as an actor because I do think he's one of those rarities where I think he is very skilled at both I don't think he's better at one than the other i mean well that's not true i think his music is probably a little bit better than his acting but he's still a really good actor i think so he's not one of those that i watch and i'm like Eek! <laughs> stick to music <laughs> and god knows there are some of those oh yeah and vice versa too <laughs> oh my god yes Ugh. i mean god bless him for try the, for trying but yes Maybe just yes. stick, stick to the shower. <laughs> stick to the shower. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. But I do want to talk about David Bowie's music career. And I first want to talk about why do you think David's Bo David Bowie's music has been so impactful and continues to be so impactful? First of all, he is he's a consummate artist. He is an artist. You know, he's an artist's artist where he, it, it's all about the craft. It's all about putting these really big thoughts into music in a way that clearly communicates whatever it is that's on his mind. It's different from a lot of other pop acts, from a, from a lot of like pop acts in that there's a lot of depth to most of his songs. Most of, the, of his songs are deep and they're, they're layered and they're complex and it's it's 
it's not, you know, I want to hold your hand. Where it's like, oh, what is the song about? It's about, I, I just said it, I want to hold your hand. Like, what are you not understanding there? <laughs> like, give me your hand so that I can hold it. <laughs> but, you know, like, how can you listen to Space Oddity and not listen to it 30 times to get every single, like, beep, every single thing that he says and explore the meaning and the nuance and the song, the fact that it, it comes up towards the end of the space race, right around the time that um, that man went to the moon for the first time, and it captures a lot of what David Bowie is going through and sets it at a time where the fantastical is possible. So he is a product of that time where these things that just seem so in- incredible and could never possibly happen are happening where we're sending people to space for the first time where there are people walking on the moon and it's like living out a sci-fi movie and he himself within himself is a sci-fi movie but then his he's not content to just live in that he evolves and it's a very interesting evolution because it is completely it is a bit random, and it, but it's random in um, a very genuine way. He does, or he did whatever he wanted to, whatever he felt at the moment. That's the trajectory that, that his music took. He it was never complacent. You know, there, there are people who say that you know he sold out towards like the the later part of his career, and I would say no, he just became happy. You know, he, there was a lot of turmoil in his early life. Um, his first marriage was not good. And he was questioning himself and his place in the world. His older stepbrother, who was his everything, like the person that he looked up to the most, died by suicide. So, like, that had a huge impact on him. And there were there was a lot of... Uh, there were several people in his family who had schizophrenia. So like for a long time, he was worried for himself and thinking, well, you know, like my thinking is so out there. Is this a symptom? So th- he was just going through so much. And then in the later part of his life, he was just content. He's like, you know, I've, I've made it this far. I don't have to really worry about money. He married Iman, who was the love of his life, like the mm-hmm. absolute love of, of his life he had settled down and he had the child from his first marriage and then a child with Iman and then um, her child as well. And that contentment really comes through in the albums of that period of time. So I don't think it's like selling out so much as like projecting contentedness. And that's a very different genre than the moodier stuff from earlier. And then his, his last record does change a lot and it i think that a lot of the reason why it was received so well is because it was more moody and people were like oh he's back to his old form it's like he's dying and he knows it and he's putting it out there in the way that he knows best like some people journal some people create art and that's what he did he created art from his suffering but the reason that all of that has an impact is because no matter what kind of music listener you are, there is something there for you in his discography. 
And that's something very rare, where not only is there, not only was he a prolific artist, but he was successfully prolific. He didn't really have very many albums that were not good. And just because you don't enjoy a particular style of this particular album doesn't mean that there's not another album that you'll be like, oh, wow, this is really for me. So I, I think that's like a huge part of his success. And then also he came around at a time where there was like th this big change coming in music where you had the Elvis Presleys and the, you know, Bob Dylans and the Beatles and everything like that. But there was also like th this, this bubbling cauldron underground of people who were becoming discontented and, you know, like we're coming out of the, out of that sixties era into the seventies, you have the, um, the after effects of the civil rights movement, um, along with the, you know, the, the Vietnam war era, as well as, uh, women's liberation, that, that wave of feminism. So there's like a lot to be explored emotionally. And of course, a lot of people, when they, when they explore their emotions, they do it through music. So you get into that, that, that the, the starts of metal and punk and just all of these genres that are very touched by that David Bowie legacy, where they really, really kind of look to his style and, um, you know, glean a lot of things out of it, not in a way that's like, oh, they're stealing from David Bowie, but they're inspired by his art. And I think that's, that's like so beautiful. And, and his visual style was also emulated so much. His, his appearance also, he, he was like one of the, the first artists, especially with the Ziggy Stardust era, that was hugely influential because, and he did it, like, from my understanding, um, kind of as a way to overcome his his uh, that that gap between wanting to connect with audiences and um, the success or failure of that, it's like I'm going to disconnect completely, be something so strange that you that it doesn't matter whether you connect because I'm you're divorcing this image of David Jones from the art that is Ziggy Stardust. So he became a living work of art along with music, which was brilliant and helpful for him. And then he shedded that persona, I mean, for many reasons, but also he stopped needing, you know, then, then comes the Thin White Duke and there are, you know, the other iterations of him, but that evolution, that ability to shed your skin and still be successful because people know not to, ex not to expect you know, they know just to wait and listen and enjoy whatever comes at them. And that's a very elusive quality that, you know, um, I think arguably maybe Madonna was able to pull off because she, she did have like a, a lot of, mm -hmm. of changes in her costuming and presentation and all of that. Yeah. But that complete separation of who he was as a person from the art that he's trying to project was made possible through Ziggy Stardust. And then once he recognized that, was able to move on. Once he recognized that he no longer needed it because he was finally comfortable presenting himself in front of people, 
he was just David Bowie. So um, I think a lot of artists have been able to to learn from that, to imbue their careers, their personas, their um, their style through that. And then as listeners, like I said, there is music for like every mood that you have with David Bowie. You can be, you know, it's like, oh, I'm having an existential crisis. Okay, great. Here's a, a whole album for you. Here's a whole series of albums. Oh, you know what? I'm kind of coming out of it. And I feel kind of kind of groovy. Okay, how about Let's Dance? You know, like I'm feeling a little bit skeptical of Americans. Here's a song for you. (laughs) 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 But yeah, the reason that, that his impact is still so great is just that he was never one type of artist. Yeah. And I, and I think with that, with not being one type of artist is, um, and the reason like people like to say you're, you've sold out or when he lost the UK fans after Ziggy Stardust or when he moved on from that, I think a lot of that is, is that people, when you end up like loving a musician, you want them to stay your person, the person you discovered. And then when the main, quote unquote mainstream or when everybody starts discovering them, it for some people feel, doesn't feel as special or you feel like oh, they've sold out because they're making money. I mean, it's like, that's the thing is it's, it's about money. It's Well, it's like the instant that, that they become discovered by everybody else because you want your artist to succeed. You're like, I'm invested in your success so that I can keep hearing your music and you don't give up on it. And then it's like, great, you're successful. I hate you now. Yeah, and I know that that happened a lot with um, a lot of punk artists. Was that was a big thing with punk artists? Is people thought, well, you're punk, so you shouldn't be successful. Or you shouldn't. I'm not a fan of Green Day, but that was a big attack on Green Day. Uh, but that's that's the same thing I think with David Bowie, and David Bowie does speak about that. There are clips of him speaking about that, and I think with any artist you're also, I think, going to get stuck in where you feel like you're not growing or learning or expanding with this one certain set of music or set of your whatever artistic expression you're doing at that time. And so I think for David Bowie, he was just like an exploring more parts of himself. I think for him, the sense that I got, especially from watching that Moon Age Daydream and watching a bunch of interviews with him and looking at his face and studying his body language is I got the impression David Bowie was very, didn't know how to be in his own body a lot of times, in his own skin. And so art was a way for him to be something and to explore who he was and to come out of that. But you could still see he had some shyness and was a little bit more reserved um, when he was talking and doing interviews. But I think it was also this way for him to explore and get to know who he was and get to know the universe and his place in the universe and explore his own, you know, childhood traumas and childhood issues. And also, like you said, a lot with mental health and mental illness and trying to, you know, even says something along the lines of like, basically, this was his way of conquering that was through his music. And through his different iterations. And I think it's, I appreciate when artists expands and they're not just doing the same, same, same thing. Even if it fails for you, even if you don't like it, at least they tried it and they took a chance on something new and different and explored different avenues. Because 
if David Bowie had stuck doing in the Ziggy Stardust era and had just stuck with that his whole career, well, we might not even be talking about him right now because I don't know if he would have reached as many people or touched as many people or had um, as big of an impact, honestly. I mean, yes, there would have been a small window of that impact, but he might have been forgotten or lost in the shuffle of a lot of other people in the, the glam rock arena. So I appreciate that he moved beyond that, but it was never like he looked down on that era. It was just, he got more comfortable, I think, in his own skin too, and who he was and being up there and interacting with, with people. And I mean, he also, you know, moved to LA because he hated LA, but he went to LA to see how is this going to affect my writing? What's my writing going to turn into? Am I going to be able to write? Am I going to be able to be a creative person in an area that I do not like and in a city that I do not like and that is so wrapped up in materialism and Hollywood and fame and all of that kind of junk that goes along with that, you know? And he was also a very accomplished like artist as well, like uh, a painter. And he did, he wrote screenplays and he, so it wasn't like just the music for him. And I think he was exploring those other avenues at the, and they kind of seeped into whatever music he was doing too. So I just, I, I think if David Bowie had stuck in one area and explored just one little realm or one little part of his artistic genius, we would have, never gotten all of that genius and all of that impact and all of those amazing, most of those amazing songs. There are songs of his that I frankly do not like, uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, he isn't a great artist. That's the, I can say that for every musician I know and love. And that's just the way it is. And also, like you said, Carla, if someone can create such a discography that one person will like one thing and then another person can find something that they like and all of that too. And um, he also just really appreciated music and the power of music, I think, and the power of song and the power that that can have to really have an impact on people and an impact on himself, but an impact on the world too. But I do think when he got later on in life and when he did, when he did, um, I think meeting Iman was like a huge change for his whole life. And, you know, he said that he would have given up music for if he had to choose between the two, because I mean, I think for them, my impression is that was like a soulmate type love. And it was just like, he did not, I don't think believe in love and he had never really thought he'd fallen in love. And then he met her and that was just, the, it was over. That was the end of that, you know, kind of, of not believing that. And he even slowed down on a lot of the stuff he did, a lot of touring and all of that, because he was so focused on family. And I think he had gotten to a point in his career and in his life where he felt so much more grounded in that and more accepted and more okay in his own skin, that that's going to automatically affect your art that you're producing and what you're doing. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means you're at that stage in life. We grow and change throughout life. So our art is going to reflect that. If you're an artist, your life will reflect that. The creativity you put out there will reflect the stages that you are in life. And I mean, I think his music is so impactful just because, you know, it can send you on a journey. <laughs> A song can send you on a journey. An album can send you on a journey. It can 
fit into any stage that you are in at life or in any mood, you can find a song that will fit with that. And you can hear his influence in all genres of music since David Bowie and not just one genre. That's the thing is you can hear his influence throughout. And he's also a musician that people, you know, that generation after generation does discover as well. So it's not like he's someone that only one generation knows and one generation loves. And I'm sure there are people that say this, but he's not someone that someone's going, oh, that's the old fogey music kind of thing, <laughs> you know, so he can find new generations too. So he will last forever, forever, for sure. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com And David Bowie definitely challenged gender norms and also challenged the music industry as a whole, I think. And, and a lot, when you watch interviews with David Bowie, you can tell the person interviewing David Bowie doesn't really know how to interview David Bowie is the way I will put it. I think that's the best way to put it is at least most interviews that I watch. So what do you think about how Bowie challenged gender norms in the music industry? I think that because there was definitely more of that towards his earlier part of his career than towards his later part. And I think that's just you know, I don't think that's an inauthentic thing that he did. I think that was just part of his journey of discovering who he was. And that that's something that's very special because not only does not everybody, hmm, how do I put this? Not only is not everybody willing to put that out there visibly for the world to see, that they, you know, that they might find like high heeled shoes and things that are typically worn by women appealing. And that's something that they want to try, but also that they are kind of allowed to do that. And there was something very special and specific about him that, yeah, he was given a hard time, but I don't think he was given a, as hard a time as a lot of other people would have. And I think that's because people kind of accepted that he was just a strange man. And that's not to say that that's a good way of seeing him or a correct way of seeing somebody who is not um, middle of the road. But when you already expect somebody to be a little odd, then you give them a lot more leeway in the ways in which they're odd. 
which again, you know, not condoning that interpretation. He was able to challenge gender norms and challenge heteronormativity and the the role that clothing plays in gender presentation in part because it was part of his costuming. It was part of the show that he was putting on. So there was, I think for, for the people who liked his music and who were maybe more conservative than they uh, would like to say they are, it was still safe because it's like, oh, that's just his costume. He wouldn't wear this in real life, would he? It's just his costume. But that still opens up the door for people who themselves are like, I don't want to be wearing a dress or I don't, why should I have to wear a button down and a tie and pants? I would like to wear a dress. Like all of these ideas because David Bowie is being allowed to express himself in this way, even if there are those othering thoughts uh, that allow him to be this way, it still opens a, a door for for people to see themselves in that interpretation of of gender and that expression of gender. And uh, there, there was um, in in the Moon Dance Daydream, Moon Age Daydream, Moon Age Daydream, yes, Moon Age Daydream documentary early on. There's a person who is wearing like, I guess you, you would call it like an androgynous kind of look. The one who's sobbing about how they didn't get to see David Bowie uh, mm-hmm. after the, the concert. And that's the influence that he had. And it's, it's so important because there are so many people who cite David Bowie and his androgyny as a reason for why they felt safe to explore clothing that was different from from what they were told that they were allowed to wear. And that extends, of course, to artists. And you have so many artists who took that lead and kind of ran with it. And thanks to that door opening, now we have, I I think, more visible acceptance. I'm not saying that that he was like the linchpin of acceptance or anything like that. But certainly an artist that big who was so um, adamant about just wearing whatever the hell he wanted to wear really did help in that regard. And and of course it doesn't escape anybody's attention that he is thin and white and male and British. So he had a lot of privileges on which he could, that could soften whatever blows there were but yeah like it really without oh god i wish that those were privileges that were afforded to everybody who wanted to dress authentically but be that as it may he had it it helped some people be able to accept themselves more and that's still a good thing yeah because there definitely is no denying that if David Bowie hadn't been a white thin man and a white man in general, a lot of 
this would not, he would not have been afforded that opportunity. And also if he had done that, he probably, he might not have had a career for as long as he did as well. So definitely. But, you know, and it's interesting when you watch interviews with David Bowie from the Ziggy Stardust era, era and even beyond that too, but from that era and you watch um, like in one interview, he's asked one of the most ridiculous questions I have ever heard because he's wearing these like high heel type shoes, boots. And they're like, so are those um, bisexual shoes or are those? And he's like, they're shoes. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, it was I, hilarious. It's like, <laughs> and the look on David Bowie's face. When you watch David Bowie's face, whenever he's being interviewed, he looks like he'd rather be anywhere in the world than there, number one. Number two, you can tell that sometimes he's like, I can't believe you just actually asked me that question. Why would you ask that question? And, you know, so there were a lot of questions about, you know, sexuality and he was very open about that and very, um, and then also a lot of questions, of course, about the way, you know, how he was presenting himself and wearing makeup and um, the clothes he would wear and challenging the gender norms of how, a man was supposed to look and supposed to present themselves. And you saw that also with just, you know, with, you know, cause he didn't just have like women lusting over him. He had a lot of people that admired him, looked up to him, lusted after him, everything like that. And like Carla was saying, a lot of people who found courage to be themselves and, you know, you would see people dressing just like him and, feeling okay and doing that and feeling comfortable in that because, you know, when you have somebody who is so successful, can command a stage like David Bowie could and can have like a platform and an audience and can, you know, have like a microphone and say stuff and speak. And if they are then presenting and challenging those norms that society has put on people and you see that they're being successful or being embraced by other people or you're thinking oh this is okay then so it's okay then if i express who i am and dress the way i want to dress because this person who's very successful and out there and in front of an audience and in front of a camera and has a camera pointed at him and has people following him around is still going to be okay dressing the way they're dressing and wearing makeup and doing all of that. So it's very important for society. That's why it's, you know, once again, it's so important to see yourself represented. And so if you are somebody that doesn't want to wear a suit and tie or a dress or anything like that, to be able to see somebody challenging those and being successful while challenging those is very impactful as well. And of course, you know, I think even though like we spoke about that people think David Bowie sold out and all of that, I think David Bowie was always sort of challenging the music industry and questioning things as far as like what should sell and what will sell and what's popular and what's not popular. And of course there's the very infamous now interview. It, it became more famous, I think way after it, but on MTV where he turns the tables on the interviewer and challenges why they don't have any or very few black artists on MTV and why at that time they were not showing videos from black artists. 
And of course, the response from the interviewer is so like, well, we have to appeal to people in middle America. And like David Bowie points out, well, you know, there are there are black people all across the United States. You do know this, right? But watching, you know, David Bowie's face during that and knowing that basically this person is basically giving him the reason he thought it was without actually them ever acknowledging it, that really it's racism. And even though they say, well, we're not racist because we're doing this, we're trying to appeal to a wide the See, new- we're not racist. We're just appealing to the races. Exactly. You understand, exactly. right? Ex- yes. When you watch the whole interview, that's basically what they say. They're yes. like, oh, well, because they even he, the, the guy's talking about, well, there was an interview and this person was like, oh, I don't, I won't listen to that stuff. I won't listen to this stuff. And David Bowie's like, yeah, well, who cares what they think? <laughs> Wait, it wasn't even a, an interview. It was a letter that somebody sent, like some. Oh, yeah, that's right. A letter. Yes. Sent a letter that's saying, right. I don't want to see black people on my TV, and they're like, oh. Chad said he doesn't want, so we can't because Chad. <laughs> they're like, there must be so many Chads out there. And, and David Bowie's like, there are also black teenagers who do yeah. want to see it. So play that. And like, what I loved is that at no point was he convinced by this person's words. No. And he kept pushing back and challenging what they were saying. And towards the end, like, the, the person's like, you know, like, Okay, so you understand what, what we mean, right? And David Bowie's like, I understand what you're saying. Yes. And that was very powerful because that conveys that I hear what you're saying. Do you hear yourself? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was also so powerful is pretty much almost right after that, the, the interviewer is like, uh, we're not still on, are we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Fred. Yes, because it wouldn't, you know, it would have been like really, you could see, you know, other white artists might have said that and then said, oh, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I know it's, and it's important to that David Bowie clarified that I know what you're saying, but I'm not agreeing with what you're saying. And like you said, do you actually hear what you're saying? And David Bowie kept trying to pair it back in a way what he was saying and say, this is what you're saying. What you're saying is that only certain people matter and other people do not matter in your mind. And so if you're, and then, you know, when David would be like, you're only playing music from black artists during times when most people are not watching. And so that too is also saying your, those people aren't as important. That viewership is not as important. And then when, oh my gosh, the Oh my gosh, the part that was just like, I, I do you realize you've just been recorded and you don't realize what you're actually saying was when the producer or someone else and this person was like, well, it's because um, people in the suburbs have cable and people in urban areas don't have cable yet. And the look on David Boyd's face. Oh yes. Oh my God. He was, he was not having it. He's like, no. every word you say makes me hate you a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the way it seemed. I was, but it's important for white artists that are at that level and at that time and now too, if you have a platform to be able to use it and challenge that because, you know, 
it's kind of your duty to speak out about that if you're seeing it there. And so while he doesn't he doesn't necessarily deserve praise because it's like, oh, this was so heroic, but more he just deserves recognition for doing it when a lot of people weren't doing that. And so it's important that he did do that. And I think it's interesting that, you know, it it says a lot that it is seems like it's gotten more attention in the last decade than it did back then. So yeah, which is interesting. I mean, because I don't remember that from back then, but I was I I don't I don't know if I was watching MTV interviews at the time, but <laughs> for that interview, but yeah, and and I would have I don't know if I've ever seen a clip of that where you're watching the interviewer's face because you usually are just seeing the back of his head, just because I would have been interested to see the look of shock on his face when the question first. <laughs> yeah, I want to see how red. Fred's face got. That's what I want to see him like scrambling for it and answer like, uh, um, um, well, you know, uh, white people don't want to hear that. And it's like, and only white people exist. I know, like saying, and then, well, we've got to appeal to middle America. Oh my God. And the, the way that the interviewer kept trying to, to push it on the company is like, well, the, the company. Oh yeah. Blah, blah, and he calls him out on it. Yep. And he's like, Okay, so you're not taking responsibility. You just keep pushing it. And I was like, okay, this is this is awesome. This is awesome. I want everybody to see this. Yes, it's it's a great, great interview. I'm sure you've seen it, but if you haven't, go go watch the whole thing because usually you'll just see little clips of it, but watching the whole thing in its entirety up to when they say, We're not still recording, right? Is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so Yes. Because they know, oh shit. <laughs> 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 yeah so go go watch that because it's still a problem today it's not like it's something that has gone away so hey podcast listener do you love talking about movies music tv comics and games then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine this season the panelists discuss the best james bond film the best elton john single the best nickelodeon original series the best batman villain and so much more find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Okay, now the hardest question I'm going to ask you today <laughs> <laughs> is name your three or three of your favorite David Bowie songs. I know, Carla. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know my thoughts on, on this when it went down to three. Uh, this artist's huge discography. Which I know. three? So I will tell you which three have been playing on repeat currently. This does not mean that they are. Well, okay. One of them is is my number one favorite David Bowie song. But the everything else is just like whatever floated up to the top um, of my playlist the last couple of days. So I'm going to start out with the song that I've already mentioned several times. I'm afraid of Americans. I think it's brilliant. I there there is so much um because at the time that it came that it came out it was really more a reflection of how europe sees americans and i think it's very telling that before david bowie named him johnny that it was called dummy 
So it's like, oh, okay. Well, he didn't, he changed it to Johnny, but he meant dummy. Okay. <laughs> Dummy's an American. Okay. All right. Cool. cool. But yeah, so it, it starts out like a clarion call from overseas about like, you know, look at yourselves, you weirdos, to something that everybody who is affected by anything, particularly if you have to live in this country and you are not necessarily from this country yeah it, it it just kind of it's a validation of your feelings of fear for you know of these people the next one that i'm that i mentioned is fame because i just i i love the 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 way that it kind of swirls i, I can't explain it it's just like it's a song that that, that has a lot of okay yeah that has like a lot of swirls in it um, because a, a lot of his songs are more straightforward and then they'll, you know, they'll go up, they'll change key, they'll come back down, they'll expand a little bit and all of that. But the, the lyrics are great and the music really is propulsive and interesting and, and just so different. It's a very different song and I appreciate that. And I am telling, I am like the most basic person on the planet i am basic as hell because my favorite david bowie song is let's dance i knew you were gonna say that yes <laughs> yes i am a very basic person my favorite david bowie song is let's dance oh but what about his like more depressive stuff about like being on drugs it's like listen i just like to dance and i like somebody being like let's dance yeah let's do that that sounds like fun but it's it's just like yeah, there's more to it and whatever, but there's just something so pure about it. It's just like, let's dance. You know, like, okay, cool. Let's do that. And th the first time that, that I really heard this song, my my best friend was uh, was working at a bar and she had like full control of the of the, this, this, the music or whatever, unless you, you paid the money and then you picked the songs and whatever. But she would she would start her shift with Friday I'm in love and then play let's dance. And so like those two songs are very important to me because <laughs> those, like the person that I heard them, they're great songs, but also the person I heard them was with my friend. And I want to give a shout out to a song that I don't like because, <laughs> because, um, and I know that, that, that there's more to it than that, but I'm not very fond of China girl and it's orientalism because even though it's really depending on your interpretation of it it can be about the subjugation of of chinese women the fact that it starts out with a very stereotypically like chinese um you know sound progression i was like mm, did it really, really need to do that and the video doesn't do it any favors either so yeah, I I just I needed to I needed it to be said. Other than that, <laughs> no, I'm glad you said. Yeah, very true, very true, very true. Yes, this is hard, and I love that. Uh, which would have been fine if we had the same, but I love that we're doing different ones. Which I mean, I mean, and I love all those songs. And I there is there is nothing wrong with having let's dance as one of your favorite david bowie songs there is nothing wrong with that. it's okay to be basic friends okay join me here in, in the basic <laughs> camp 
<laughs> I've danced to Let's Dance many times when I used to go clubbing and went to like 80s nights. It was always played, always, inevitably. So it was fame sometimes and sometimes fashion too. So yeah, always, yes. Zoolander, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, my absolute, I actually do think this is my absolute favorite David Bowie song is Life on Mars. And the reason that's my favorite, and I, that's the one lately that I have been listening to on repeat, 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 it ends. And then, or like I noticed that, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, it's at the like 20 seconds left. I better hit rewind. Uh, <laughs> I know, I don't know if it's even called rewind anymore, whatever. <laughs> I was just about to say rewind, Erin. <laughs> wine in my head okay <laughs> you also uh, press eject <laughs> i'm good at saying that's actually stop and not eject anymore but <laughs> well it's it's you only say rewind because you're so kind oh exactly plus you know i worked at blockbuster so it's stuck in there it's ingrained <laughs> uh but i i love that song it's a progression as well. It starts out a little bit slow and then it kind of moves through. It's almost like you're taking a journey through a film in a way, through a short film or through a trailer, which when it's featured in trailers, it's one of those songs that works really well because it is that like, you know, it starts out a little bit slow progression and then goes up and it's like operatic almost, you know, and it's almost like a symphony playing and the you know just the chords hitting harder and then it slows down again and even david bowie's voice follows that like when he does i'm not going to sing it because no that's not fair um <laughs> to the song <laughs> but when he sings the you know life on mars and the way he sings that and hits that those notes and there's so much emotion there as well and that's that's the power of his voice i think is you feel every lyric and you feel the emotion there. And that's one of those for sure. Uh, and then next is I do love the song Heroes. I think that's another one that can take you on a journey too and take you on a journey through what the song is talking about and through the music and through the characters in the song as well. And it's not necessarily... You know, some of the lyrics in there and some lines in there is not necessarily always about something healthy. I think people look at that song as being about being heroic when there's actually a lot of sadness in that song and death. There's a lot of death in that song. That's about that. I mean, <laughs> the guns are <laughs> firing. Uh, and I do think I do want to give a shout out because I do think Peter Gabriel does a beautiful version of Heroes as well. So I love that version as well. Um, but that that is another one that I can play on repeat, repeat, repeat. And I do think the other thing that I think sometimes people lose with David Bowie is sometimes David Bowie's music can sound poppy to some people. And like maybe that means the lyrics aren't as deep. And they are, even in Let's Dance. Because <laughs> let's dance, everybody. Let's dance. Uh, and then for my third one, I have three written down for my third one. I'm not going to say them all. I just have three written down. So now I have to just decide. And it's purely for the sound and because it's me. But... 
Yeah, I'll go with that one. Okay. So I, I yes, I'll go with that. One. See, see, Aaron, see, not so easy, huh? I know it's not easy. <laughs> when I put these on there, I also go, Aaron, you are an idiot. But, but if I don't, this is the thing, everyone. If I don't do that, we would be here for 10 hours and I'm not editing that. So that's why I do this. Because if we were to go through each song that you liked and rank every David Bowie song. We would be so what you're saying is that you want to do that on a live stream. Got it. Noted. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Next year during our marathon live stream event, every half hour we'll rank another David Bowie album. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We'll do that for David Bowie, for Depeche Mode, and for George Michael. It'll be great. Gosh, wow. Janet Jackson, Lady Gaga. Yes. (laughs) Kidding me? (laughs) So basically only the artists that I want to talk about. I know. I'm like, um, I'm going to throw in. We could could rank Brian Eno's contributions. (laughs) (laughs) We should probably talk about about Brian someday. <laughs> I, I, I've never done a New York Times crossword puzzle, so it, I would feel like it would make me feel really dumb. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not generally good at crossword puzzles. I'm good at trivia, but I'm not good at crossword puzzles. Word games. I'm not. Uh, well, think of it as, as a um, as a cro- as a trivia game, but just you have to put in the letters. It's 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 that's, great. That's a good way to think about it. I'll have yeah. to do that next time. I don't attempt it. But um, start with a Monday. For your sanity, start with a Monday. Anyway. Okay, yeah. And you know our uh, our um you know Finn Whitrock, he has talked about how he does those like every day he collects all the ones he's done and he's shown piles of his New York Times <laughs> Okay, we get it. Okay. You 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 own a pen. <laughs> you own a pen. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pen. go. <laughs> I'm gonna and I'm not gonna get into the big thing because then I'll change my mind. But I'm gonna go with um okay, eight line poem. There, that's the end. That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> Wrap it up, everybody. <laughs> but Life on Mars really is my absolute favorite. Um, and I wanna say I was so <laughs> when that was featured in the trailer for um Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, Licorice Pizza, which everyone knows I, or you should know if you don't, you know now, Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite writer and director. Well, I hate Licorice Pizza. Like, I really hate this movie. And, but I loved the use of it in the trailer. And before I said, it made me so excited for the movie. And so for a little bit of time, I wasn't able to listen to this song because then I would think of that movie. So anyway, it made me sad. So now I'm glad that I can love the song again. (laughs) Yay, Aaron! But I do, I do agree that you know, China Girl is one of those where it is the opening chords and the video and everything. It's oh, yeah. As the kids say it's mad sus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No so, cap on God. Yes. I wanted to see how far I could push it before you broke down. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the thing, everyone. You can love an artist and love what they've done. It doesn't mean they're above critique. And I think David Bowie would agree with this. So it's, you know. Uh, But we are going to move 
we are going to move around now. We're going to move around now. <laughs> Let's dance. <laughs> but wait, I don't have my red shoes. <laughs> we are going to move around. Oh, move. See, I keep wanting to say move around. What in the world? Sorry, it's the heat because I don't have my AC on. I'm hot. I'm melting. Uh, we're going to move on to David Bowie's film career. Of course, Carla and I both first took notice of this man because of the awakening that he caused in us with Labyrinth. But he's done a lot more than that. And of course, we covered Labyrinth last year. We also covered last year another movie he was in with our unofficial mascot, Christian Effing Bale. Of course, that's The Prestige. Um, he was also in the movie The Hunger, which we mentioned on our queer horror episode a couple of years back. Uh, he also, from July 1980 to January 1981, he played Joseph Merrick in the Broadway theater production of The Elephant Man. So he hasn't just done film, he's also done theater. And he was in, of course, the cult classic, The Man Who Fell to Earth. He played himself in Zoolander <laughs> when he judged the walk-off. <laughs> Best scene. And don't forget, Billy Zane was also there. Yes, Billy Zane was also there. <laughs> Another reason for it to be covered on Patreon, I guess. <laughs> uh, but he's done a bunch of other things as well. So overall, what are your thoughts on Bowie as an actor? I think he he was so good. He was so good. He He was so talented. And I, I think, again, it comes down to that, that authenticity because it sounds so weird. Like, okay, to be a good actor, you have to be authentic, but you're, you're playing other people. But you do have to have a, a lot of connectedness to yourself in order to bring forth these emotions to a place where other people can see them and interact with them and elicit feelings from, from them. Um, but he was just magnificent in all of the the roles that i've seen him in i don't know how good he would be at comedy i think he he might just be a, an excellent dramatic actor um we you know we certainly never had the, the opportunity to explore that with him but like you said and we've said a thousand times you know like comedic actors are generally great also at drama but the same is not always true. Like the reverse is not always true. Um, so I don't know how he would have done a comedy, but he was definitely great at drama. I, I I just really, first of all, he's he's so magnetic. You just really want to watch what he does. He, his movements, the the way that he uses his face and his voice and all of his and all of his roles, the, um, his use of his assets in Labyrinth was also very welcome. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah it was. <laughs> I, I, I appreciated him as, as an actor, not just in Labyrinth. Although, come on. <laughs> His assets. Um, <laughs> that's true, though. <laughs> he brought all of them to the film. He did. He... <laughs> Sorry. Uh... Yes, I agree. I think I think it would have been interesting to see because he's done like I think like he's been in comedy or he's been I mean, well, of course, he was in Zoolander, but he was playing himself and a version of himself. And he was 
being himself. So that's a little bit different. But I think it would have been interesting to do to see him do a straight out comedic role and see if he could have done it because I do think he's very very talented um, as an actor. I think he was very talented, and you know he can play. Uh, he can he. You know the thing though is that, and this is why I wonder with the comedy, is he tends to in his performances bring a very unique David Bowie-ness to him. You know, like, I can't imagine anyone else playing his role in The Hunger. I can't imagine anyone else playing his role in The Labyrinth. And The Labyrinth? <laughs> yes, that one. In Labyrinth. Yes, Aaron. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, Aaron. So, Labyrinth. I think it might, be, it might be what I called it. So, jokes on me. <laughs> which now I can't remember them, but if you go back and listen to our Labyrinth episode, I do mention the other actors that were in consideration and no. And I think there were other musicians too, but um, so he, but he brings this like almost like um, darkness, but I don't mean that in like a um, dread sense of dread, but more, almost like, you know, very much sexuality in every role he takes. Every role he takes, there's this sense of danger and sexuality and then like eroticism too, I think. Um, that's especially true in The Hunger and the pants that he wore in Labyrinth. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I have totally lost my place here of what I'm talking about because <laughs> You just keep thinking the about the labyrinth. The assets, yes. <laughs> That's probably why I said the labyrinth. The assets. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but he was, he could tell, you could tell he really liked it. And I think when you said the authentic being authentic, I think in order to be a good actor, you have to not be acting. Like people can't say, Ooh, you're acting. Look at them act. You have to believe they are that character. And that's where the authenticity comes into play is when you look at them. And I always say, like we've said a million times on here, when you look into the actor's eyes, you have to be able to believe that they are that character that they are playing. And that's where, you know, you have to be authentic. You have to actually know and embody that character like completely. And that's how it comes across through the eyes. And I think David Bowie definitely did that. I think if David Bowie had never tried his hand at music, I think he would have been fine just doing acting. He might, I don't think he would have had as a successful a career necessarily, but I think he would have been able to just make a career from acting as well. And I did want to take a moment, since it is in the film part, to give a shout out to his son, Duncan Jones, who is a filmmaker and who made a fantastic movie, Moon, which is the movie that Sam Rockwell should have won the Oscar for because Sam Rockwell played not just one, but two characters in that movie. If you have not seen Moon, it's it's a stunning feat of writing, act, directing, and especially acting. That performance is one of the best in the last 20 years. So I highly recommend that. But I did want to give a shout out to... Um, Duncan Jones, because he is an incredible artist as well. And he tried, he was thinking about making a biography about his father. 
And when he started trying to do it, it was just too emotional for him to do that, which makes sense. Okay. Well, I do want to know, I don't know if this is as hard as, probably not as hard, but you know, the assets make, sorry. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> what is your favorite, I almost said asset of his, what's your favorite? <laughs> the left one. <laughs> What is your favorite role of David Bowie's? This was a lot easier because there are also a lot fewer roles to pick from yeah, as opposed to the songs. But as much as I enjoy him in Labyrinth, um, I'm going to give it to him for uh, Nikola Tesla in The Prestige. I thought he was he was great in that. That was, it, it, you know, like when, when you're in a movie with Hugh Jackman, and Christian Bale, and you can command as much attention as he does when you're like pulling your your eyes away from these two amazing actors to pay attention to what somebody else is saying. That's a pretty big feat, and he he did it really well. I thought he was so great in it. I thought he was just compelling as hell, and I I, I just it was like a very interesting casting choice, but one that was very welcome. I think. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I still bet uh, Christian kicks himself for not insisting on meeting David Bowie because they never did scenes together. And so he never got to meet David Bowie. And as we said in our Prestige episode, you're Christian Bale. You could have just been like, I'm Christian Bale. I get to meet David Bowie. I know, right? Like, hello, hi, I am the movie. Can I please be in this part of the movie? Just like in the background even. Just to meet him and watch him. Yeah. Can't I just sit by on the sidelines? I'll bring my own chair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still... Christian. I won't say a word. I don't want <laughs> to stop my voice. You won't even hear me, I promise. That's Christian Bale begging, by the way. <laughs> uh... Well, I am going to go with The Hunger because I think he's fantastic in that. It's an interesting role because uh, he has to do so much with his body and his expression and he's playing a vampire, but it's a very different kind of vampire role. Um, and there's also a lot of struggle with his character with age and aging and what does aging mean and, um, you know, what ends up happening to his character. I mean, yes, this movie is from the 80s, but I won't spoil it. But uh, And he's very sexy in it. He's a perfect vampire. Um, he's perfect for that role. And he brings, again, that unique David Bowie-ness. Well, David Bowie, number one, he plays cello in this, and he learned to play cello for it. Uh, so David Bowie said that in order to make his voice suitably hoarse for when he that's well, a spoiler, but for when he aged so drastically in the movie, he stood on the George Washington Bridge every night and screamed all the punk rock songs he knew. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? You're like just, you know, driving by and it's like, was that David Bowie? I know. Is he OK? Because that would be like, I think the first question, like, is he OK? <laughs> yeah. You see in like the tabloids, David Bowie's <laughs> Bowie in agony. <laughs> yeah, that's what would have happened. So 
I just thought that was a funny little tidbit about that. But I, I think he's really good in that. I think him and Catherine Deneuve have really, really interesting chemistry in that film as well. So and int- by interesting, I mean really good, but just a very interesting dynamic between the two of them. And also, I want to say he, David Bowie is not a selfish actor, too. So I think that comes through. Um, so I think he gives as much as he takes. And uh, you could tell he's having fun in a lot of these roles, too. Um, even and in Zoolander, you could tell he probably was having a blast doing that. So we do have time for if there's one other quick, quickly to mention, not like for a long time, but if there's one other thing you want to just give a shout out to, like another song or any other little thing you wanted to mention. Fine. One thing I want to mention. <laughs> one thing to mention, only one, is, okay, so the song Cat People. The reason I first listened to it in the first place is because it has the word cat in it, and I like cats. And I was like, oh, what's this about and it's a really good song that's not just like oh you know cat lady in her apartment just waiting for the news to come on in her nightgown sitting here sipping coffee that's gone stale because she's by herself didn't have anybody to remind okay yeah I'm, i'm making up a song now um it's getting very very uh complicated and intense so no um cat people good song good title for a song (laughs) that was uh that was one of my three i was trying to choose between (laughs) so funny (laughs) that was that was one of the three and i almost chose it and then i went with the other one so (laughs) and it's funny because you're not a cat person you're not cat people that's true i I like cats i've had cats in the past but i've had such amazing cats that i'm very picky about cats so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) i had a cat that played fetch um i think everybody's had a cat that played fetch (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) meow I also wanted to point out when you said the the cat the cat thing for some reason when you were talking about that it reminded me um, if people don't know right now if you're wondering what is uh, Kim Coles from at Living Single what is she doing right now right now she's on Days of Our Lives and um, she's playing this character it's Nurse Whitley King and she kidnapped uh, Abe Carver who has like been on the show forever. And because he's got amnesia and she's like, I'm your wife. She's pretending to be. But the reason I the reason it reminded me of that is that she's got in her apartment. I'll have to I'll have to do a video and share it. But Whitley, Nurse Whitley has her whole apartment is just filled with stuffed cats. And like she even has like a cat and she does have a real cat, but you barely see it. But she has like a cat, like one of those towers that cats play on. And oh, yeah. on every rung is a stuffed cat or a couple of stuffed cats. And then there are <laughs> paintings of cats. And I'm like, man, the set department must have had so much fun doing this because the amount of cat stuff, it's like everywhere you look, there's cat stuff. And <laughs> this is hilarious because it's also it's all of that. Plus, it's basically overboard and misery. That's yes, it is. Roll into one. This is fantastic. Anyway, so that has nothing to do with David Bowie, but <laughs> it's just when you said that reminded me. So um, I'll just say uh, 
I just think it is um, it is sad how many great and wonderful musicians we have lost in recent years, including, of course, most recently, of course, Tina Turner. And of course, Tina Turner and David Bowie did sing a song together. They did a Pepsi thing together, too. <laughs> uh, but I just think, as weird as this may sound, but I know I hear other people say it, too. If you believe in like a heaven or another plane of existence after this, I just think the concert that that plane must be having right now has got to be just the most amazing, beautiful concert, um, you know, you'd ever go to. And I'm sure when David Bowie passed that the people that had passed before and then the people since have, they've all come together as beautiful, amazing artists and their work lives on and they're playing a beautiful um, concert up there or wherever the next plane of existence is. So, and just thank you to David Bowie for the incredible art that you gifted the world and shared with the world because you don't didn't have to do that. So yes, I know you were very successful, all that stuff, but still it takes a lot from you as a person to share up such a deep, intimate part of your soul and self with the world. So thank you. Uh, so it is time to play six degrees of Finwit Rock, and this is incredibly easy. I could have tried to do a more difficult one, I understand, but I decided not to. So, of course, as we've mentioned already a couple times, David Bowie was in the prestige with Christian Bale, who was in the big short with Finwit Rock. Another way you could connect David Bowie and Christian Bale, although uh, and then end up with Finn again. Although I don't know if David Bowie would have liked this, but there is the movie Velvet Goldmine is, is based on David Bowie. David Bowie didn't refuse to have his songs in the movie because the movie was loosely based on an unauthorized biography about David Bowie and also a book that his ex-wife wrote about living with David Bowie. And he did not know this until he was going to supply his songs and then he found out and he told the producers they were not allowed to use his songs or he would sue them basically. So, so, uh, and Christian Bale is in that movie. It's, it's a fantastic movie, but you know, just pointing that out that, you know, a lot of people love it because of how close it is to David Bowie, I think, but David Bowie is not a fan of that was not a fan so maybe that's why christian did not want to use his pool and be like <laughs> that must be it you know like oh he's probably still angry with me maybe i'll sit this out <laughs> yeah that's what it was wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah so if you watch it you know like huge boulder of salt as you're watching it yeah, I mean, I love the movie. I love the movie, but... <laughs> oh, I mean, as far as, 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 like, thinking, oh, David Bowie, is this what he was really like? Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, if you, you want to watch the, the no. concert when you when you go to heaven, then just pretend it's somebody else's together. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will talk about Velvet Goldmine at some point point in time because you know during christian bale month of course so yeah and then we can talk about that more and dive more into into that 
So we are going to go ahead and close this episode out, though. And Carla from Bedwetter Behead, tell everybody where they can find your podcast and you. Well, I'm not going to tell everybody. I'm, just, I'm only going to tell the cool people. So the non-cool people tune out. But you can find Bedwetter Behead Podcast wherever you get your groovy podcasts. If you want to, you know, like dance with... Um, no, you can't really dance to a part. I'm, I, I'm, you know what? I, I won't tell you what to do, but I do sing little songs at the beginning of episodes. So if you want to dance to those, feel free. Um, you know, don't mind the terrible vocals. That's the only thing I'll tell you. I'm no David Bowie, but anyway, you can just get those pretty much wherever you can find our social media presence on Twitter at bedwetbeheadpod, on Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod, on uh, the thing with a TikTok, that's the one. On TikTok, we are at Bedwehead. Bedwehead. Da, 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 da. On, <laughs> on TikTok, we are at Bedwehead Pod. You can also find me and my art and my musings and the photography that I've recently posted on Instagram at Carlatemis or my website, Carlatemis.com, which I have recently started refreshing and sprucing up. And that is C A R L A. T-E-M-I-S dot com. Awesome. See, I just keep using my fingers. Just fingering around. <laughs> yeah. For for Carla's website. <laughs> I'm, I'm not thinking about assets. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yes, yes. Carla does incredible photography. Incredible. She's an incredible artist. So go to her website for sure. Um, we've shared a few in our Instagram stories, but definitely follow her on Instagram so you can get all of that. But definitely go check out her work. You can also purchase some prints as well. So definitely go do that too. So support amazing artists. Yes. Remember, you don't want to follow me on Twitter or anywhere. You can't follow me on Instagram. I know you people try. <laughs> you people, sorry. <laughs> wow, Erin. <laughs> I know you weird people try. I know, you know, I mean, I get so many requests, but my Instagram is private. So, I'm not <laughs> so sorry, people out there. <laughs> but you do want to follow someone who is not private on their social media, I mean, and that is Fergie. Fergie loves to dance loves music, tries to love when I sing to her. Oh, she really loves horror movies, of course. So she loves the movie The Hunger. I'm sure. I don't know if she watched that with me when I was watching it. I'm sure she did. But be sure to follow Fergie on TikTok at Schroeder and Fergs. That's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-A-N-D-F-E-R-G-S. It is long, but it is worth it. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please head on over to our website. It's a fandom thing Click the contact us button there and that'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And while you're there, if you like what you're hearing, you want to hear more of it, if you want to hear bonus episodes, if you want to hear us potentially talk about Zoolander coming up soon in July, 
or yeah tales from the crypt (laughs) sorry tales from the crypt demon knight because we're going to be covering a billy zane movie in july for our patreon supporters become a patreon supporter today and we are now offering a seven day free trial at the three dollar level so with that you get ad free episodes so if you're hearing ads during this episode you won't hear them over there and you get bonus episodes you get to vote for one bonus episode one bonus patreon episode a month And so recently, Carla and I, for Pride Month, did the movie. We didn't do the movie. We covered the movie, Single All the Way, from Netflix. So we talked about that. We've done an episode on The Banshees of Anna Sharon. Uh, Carla and I also did another bonus Christian Bale episode. We've talked about the menu. We did an office-based commentary track. We, Meg and I talked about Notting Hill. We've done a bunch of things. Cocaine Bear, uh, Renfield. We are going to be covering the Barbie movie as well. So in order to hear all that great content, head on over to the support us link in uh, um, our website. It's a phantomthinkpod.com or head to the link in the show notes. And if you would also like to support us in other ways, you can buy us a coffee. You can go to our Redbubble store and buy some great merch. Or the greatest thing you can do for indie podcasters like myself and Carla is to rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. And also share, 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 share the episodes. Let people know about us. Word of mouth helps podcasters more than you can possibly imagine. Give us feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, It's really easy for people to criticize and to leave negative stuff on for artists than it is, or for anyone, than it is for people to leave positive feedback. So if you want to give feedback, do that. Thank you for the private messages that I got from people that are very grateful we're doing more music. So thank you. Every time we do more music, I get messages like that. So thank you. I appreciate it. We are going to try and do a lot more music in the years to come and we have more music coming your way like on our next episode Danelle is going to be joining me to talk about Trent Reznor and then if you want to know other music we're going to be playing we're going to be playing we're going to be playing music later <laughs> oh my god we're a band <laughs> you do not want to hear that <laughs> from me um I did take I did learn to play the flute. I used to play the flute, but I haven't played it you in so long. You can play the flute and I'll sing along and I'll play the the triangle. Blue It'll eggs. Be man. Blue eggs, yes. We forgot we about are our band. A band. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> we forgot we were a band. We're a very successful band. <laughs> so Obviously. successful we even forgot ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but we will be talking about uh, the Violent Femmes during November, during my birthday month. Danelle will be there for me. Be there for me. She'll be on, she'll be on that one as well. And if you don't know, I'm not going to say the year because it's like uber depressing how old the, their uh, self-titled album is, but it's celebrating an anniversary this year. I'm not going to say it. I'll say it then. I know everybody's going to want me to say it, so I'll <laughs> because <laughs> i blocked it out of my head it's like oh it's like 40 years old or something i don't know it's really sad and depressing you can have somebody say it and you could just dub it in later <laughs> it's, it is 40 years old that's just oh man so many things are getting old 
Luckily, I'm not one of them. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yes. So once again, next week, join us as we talk about Trent Reznor. Um, if you are hearing listening to this on Friday, and if we haven't yet recorded, please uh, let us know what your favorite uh, songs are or your favorite score that Trent Reznor has done for film as well. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate.